Welcome to the Life in Deep Ellen podcast, exploring the sacred in art, faith, and community. Good morning. I have my friend Jorge here with me. Jorge is in the house, y'all. Give it up for Jorge. He's here. He's ready. He's ready to be seen. Because that's what happens in community. You are seen. Is that scary (laughs) or exciting? Or maybe a little bit of both. You are seen in community in the way that God sees you. That's what we practice when we join life groups. We practice the vulnerability of being seen and being known. Our scripture today is Psalm 139, and you've probably heard this, although I don't want to say that. I think that's inaccessible for me to say because you may not have heard it. And so I want to honor wherever you are in your journey of learning about God and God's story. But I'll read a little bit of it, and I want to first say that the title of this scripture, in my Bible at least, is The Inescapable God. Yikes. <laughs> let's, let's hear about that. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, oh Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day. For darkness is as light to you. The psalm goes on, but that's where we'll pause today because that's enough to chew on, isn't it? This kind of seeking and knowing God. So when I was a little girl, um, I, when my grandfather died, he passed away of a heart attack when I was six and it was really sudden and shocking and Of course, my grandmother didn't see it coming, and it's really a moment that I think has defined our family um, in many ways, is the shock of, of Pop. Pop was my grandpa, Pop dying. 
But after Pop died, um, my Mimi tried to explain to me that um, he was still with me. And it's sort of this comforting thing that we tell kids sometimes, um, and we, we want to help them understand what happens after death. And so we say things like, you know, they're looking over you. They're watching over you from above. I heard a giggle. Someone knows where this is going. You're on to me, LaShonda. Um, and so, right, like you're watching over me. And so as a child, ch- children understand things literally, Like that's the way they understand things because their brains haven't formed into um, really having a lot of capacity for metaphor and all the images that that we kind of enjoy making meaning through as adults. Children don't really have that yet, so they really understand things literally. And so I was convinced that Pop could always see me. And was always watching me. (laughs) And this was not exactly comforting, okay? (laughs) Because I said, I said, Mimi, but like when, when I go to the bathroom, like, does Pop see me then? And like, when, you know, um, like, is it all the time? And she really, she, she struggled with explaining it. And we kind of, we didn't really, um, that, that, that metaphor didn't last, shall we say. Um, it wasn't the go-to anymore because it honestly freaked me out a little bit more than comforted me. But this is the exact same feeling that came to mind for me when I, when I first heard this psalm as a kid and then again as it's, been, as it's been preached to me. It's this, you know me, you search me, God. You know every thought. There's not a thought in my head that you don't already know. And so I kind of pictured God knowing everything. And if you're like me, maybe this doesn't bring up immediate comfort per se, right? There's a little bit like, where can I flee? Where can I go? (laughs) Where can I hide from your presence? (laughs) Where can I get away from your wisdom, right? There's this sense that there's nowhere that God is not. There's no neural pathway in your brain that God has not traveled. There's no idea or emotion that you felt that God isn't intimately familiar with. And that's intimate. And so when we think about this, we can, we can read scripture literally. And sometimes being literal helps us, right? When we're trying to help children understand concepts, when we're getting on an airplane and we need to know the literal exact way to know how to be safe on the airplane, when we're doing our taxes, literal instructions matter. But this scripture is so much more than just literal. And gosh, we miss things when we try to only read the Bible in literal ways. Now, I didn't say not serious ways because I always think the word of God is to be taken seriously. But I do think that these scriptures always invite us to experience God 
And that's more than just intellectual. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, the psalmist says, but I might say such knowledge is too terrifying for me. It is so high, I cannot reach it, but I might say it is so close, I do not want it. This fear of being known by God. And however religion or spirituality has impacted your life, you probably know this fear of being known. This fear that God would see you and know you. It's, it's a little scary. Where can I flee? Even there? Even there? You're still there? But perfect love casts out fear. That's what 1 John says. So in God's love made complete in Christ, there is no fear. Huh. So if perfect love casts out fear, and to experience love, we have to be seen and known, then maybe we could let God search us. Maybe we could allow ourselves to be seen by God and by each other in community. Maybe that gets a little less scary if perfect love casts out fear. But why does God have to search us in the first place? Isn't God all-knowing and doesn't God know everything already? So why would a God that already knows me have to search me and know me? But I want you to hear this. I want you to really, really hear this. You are not a fully memorized puzzle that God just enjoys doing for fun. Right? Like the parts of you aren't a puzzle that God already knows how to put together. So it's just like, oh, this routine thing. God delights in discovering you, searching you, watching you unfold. And like a puzzle or a piece of art that is never quite finished, a song that never gets old, God delights in experiencing you. An artist can create a painting, but after that artist creates said painting, doesn't the artist still relish in its beauty? Doesn't the artist still wonder how those colors might blend together and what would happen if the light hits the painting in a new way? This is the kind of way God delights in knowing you. Yes, God is all-knowing. Yes, God is all-powerful. But God's love still delights in the unfolding, in the discovering, in being curious about who you are and the stories that lie in your heart. To experience love, we must be known. 
So here's the thing, though. I get that we must be known, but there's so much fear that all of us have in being really known by our partners, by our friends, by our colleagues, by God, because what will they find if they really know us? What might they find? That's kind of scary, right? And what I would call bad theology has told us that God and others will only find bad things. It's not just a puzzle that God already knows the answer to. It's a depressing puzzle that has so many bad parts. And that's not even fun for God to just do a depressing puzzle with bad parts. Gosh, that's not even fun. And you didn't even ask to be a freaking puzzle. You never wanted to be a bad, disappointing puzzle for God to search and know and find. And when did this search happen? Was it consensual? Did you agree to be searched and known? Did you agree to exist in creation in a world in which you can never flee from the presence of God? When did you sign the contract? There's a book called The Wisdom of Your Body, and my friend and author Hillary McBride writes about how we all have so many complex things in us, things that would be seen if we really risked relationship with others, if we really risked relationship with God, if we really allowed ourselves to be seen then all of us would be known. She says this, for some of us, the complexity and richness of being fully alive is difficult and we struggle to consent to all it holds, to all God might find out about us. Loss, grief, pain, aloneness, illness, the pangs of hunger or fullness, the grip of fear and the finality of death. But in the process of trying to avoid these feelings, we also lose access to the beautiful things that come with being fully alive. Pleasure, joy, energy, connection, love. We can't avoid the painful things we experience without sacrificing the good, the beautiful, the rich. God wants to know all of you. God wants to search and find and follow and experience every part of you. There is no territory that God will be uncomfortable with navigating. But God cares about your consent. We can say yes to this being known. We can agree to being seen. So how? 
you might say, like, how do I do that? Sure, Jenna, like, yes, sure, that'd be great if God knew me better, if people in my life knew me better. But like, how do I do that? Where is the plan? Where are the steps? All these words sound good, but where's the meat? Where's the plan? I don't have a plan. (laughs) Sorry to say. But I do know that it's small steps towards intimacy with God and in relationship. And so maybe it's daring to tell the truth about how you're really doing when someone asks you. And so when they say, how are you doing? Maybe you say, maybe you sit with that and you, and you share something authentic if it feels safe to do so. And maybe it also looks like in this community that we're building together here at Life in Deep Ellum, our life together in Deep Ellum, maybe it also means instead of just bopping around and minding your own thing, maybe it means you start to see others other than yourself. What would that be like if instead of a gaze that's always searching and knowing internally. What would it be like to begin to cast your eyes outside of yourself? Because this community that we're building, there's a lot of mutuality. You see, I see you and you see me. We do it together. And there are times when I might have my eyes cast inward and I might need your gaze. And there might be times when you need me to really see you. It's this holy seeing. It's this curiosity about each other. It's not seeing each other as puzzles that we already know the answer to. Because this bad theology can affect our relationships too. If we assume we know everything about God and that God knows everything about us and that we're just existing here with this obligatory relationship where there's no discovery, there's no curiosity, then how does that affect our relationships? Do you ever assume you know everything about another person? Do you ever assume that you know what they're going to say before they say it? Why would you have to listen if you already know what they're going to say? And why would you have to look if you know what you're going to find? Well, what a boring life that would be if there was no need to listen, if there was no need to see. And this isn't what God is really about, my friends. Because why would God become flesh? (laughs) Oh, 
Why? Why would God enter in to creation? If God already knew the ending and already knew how bad we were and already knew how the story would end and flames and hell and all that scary stuff. Why would God waste God's time entering in to creation? And we have sold this as a formula. We have sold it as a doctrine. But it was love that decided to become flesh. It was love that was curious about you. It was love that wanted to experience being with you. Being with us. Being with every creation, every creature that catches its breath with the Spirit of God. See, this is creation. This is salvation. It's not just a formula. It's not just a box to check or a thing we have to get right or a list of actions we have to accomplish to get to somewhere eternal. It is being willing to engage ourselves in the eternal work of loving and experiencing God. Like that's salvation. That's what Jesus came to show us about. Salvation isn't fixing something irreparably damaged with a sacrifice. But sacrificing everything. Forever and ever and ever doing whatever it takes for us to know love. That's salvation. Do you hear the difference? It's not a fix. It's not a, oh, I guess I'll forgive you creation for sucking I guess I'll give you another chance because I'm a good God and that's what I do. That's not the voice of grace, okay? It's not to say that the voice of grace doesn't seek change and transformation. Don't hear me say that. But it's not a condemnation because remember, there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. And God is not afraid. There are many, many ways that we reflect the image of God. We are created in the image of God. And so there's many things we do that I think can reflect God's image. But you know what one that can't? Our fear. That actually doesn't reflect the image of God. God can't relate, (laughs) in other words. God can relate, of course, to every feeling we have. But God is not afraid. And God doesn't 
need us in this needy, needy, needy way, which is the way that so much theology is taught, that God's so needy and God just needs us to be perfect and get it together and get the plan back on track. That's just not how it is, y'all. God isn't afraid. God isn't shook. Okay? You think God is shook? God can't be shook. And God isn't afraid of what God will find if God knows you better. God isn't afraid of what God will find. God wasn't too afraid to enter the world in Jesus. God wasn't too afraid to come and build beloved community and have disciples and friends and family, chosen family like Jesus did. Because God is love. And perfect love casts out fear and God is perfect love. So if there is no fear in God, there is no fear. We've established that. Then God can search and know you. And if we want to reflect the image of God just a little bit more, we could begin to let go of our fear. Ooh, this is like the hard work though. Oh gosh. It's like so hard because we want to grip. We want to hang on. We want to keep our walls up and stay safe. But if we wanted to reflect the image of God just a little more, we could begin to let go of our fear and we could let God in, in our lives and we could let others in on our lives too like others in our life group, for example. So I want you to hear this psalm again, but this time I want you to hear it really, really like letting the understanding that there is no fear in love. Hold that in your heart as you hear this psalm again. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O oh Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in before and behind and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, 
even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. So what if it was safe to be known by God? What if it was safe? I'm going to go one step further, not just to be known by God, but to be known in this space. What if we made it safe for each other to be known in this space? What if we listened fully when someone tells us what's hurt us? What if we said, I'm sorry, when we've said or done something that has hurt another? What if we lived and acted out of love and not perfectly because it doesn't say that perfect, that we got to get perfect love perfectly. No, only God can do that. But it does kind of mean giving it your best shot. It does kind of mean being willing to show up. And being willing to listen to others. It does kind of mean risking it to be seen. Today we are launching life groups. And I wonder how you feel about that. (laughs) I see a thumbs up. Noemi is like excited. Yes. Life groups, energy. We love it. Yes. And some of you may feel that. Woohoo. Some of you may feel other feelings. I don't know. I heard that it's story night. You have to tell like your whole life story and I'm not doing that. I'm actually, we're not doing that anymore, y'all. That's like way too scary and vulnerable. And I can't believe you guys are doing that in the first place. I literally didn't know what story night was. And I was like, yeah, you know, the night that we all tell stories. And they're like, no, the night that you book six months in advance to share every detail of your life. I'm like, we are talking about two different things. And what you just described, I am not going to be doing So if your pastor feels uncomfortable, that may signal that we need to shift and pivot story night. I'm not about that six months out. My no booking nights in advance, Excel sheets of names. What, who's coming for this night? I'm sure some genuine things were shared and I'm not trying to dismiss it. Don't hear my joking as dismissing. But I think we can do better. I think we can be safer. I think we can hear each other still. 
and create containers for this knowing, this communing, this experiencing to happen. So I want you to try it. And I know that's a big ask. It's a big commitment. It's once a week. I'm going to be driving to Grapevine. I'm not like, you know, really super comfortable on the freeways of Texas, but I'm going to be driving to Grapevine, y'all, because I want to be in Conrad's life group. I'm asking you to risk it. I'm asking you to commit to your crew and commit to showing up in loving ways for each other. I know there's been wounding. I know there's been pain. I know that sometimes life groups have been amazing and sometimes they felt clickish or off-putting. I know all that. I thought about it all week. But I believe that this is going to be a critical way for life in deep Elam to grow in Christ. I believe it so deeply in my spirit. And so I hope that you can maybe take one tiny step. If you want a practical step, (laughs) there are a lot of QR codes outside those double doors and they will take you to one place and it's a link to register to a life group. So this is the process, right? We're going to be vulnerable. We're going to risk being seen. And if I had to rewrite this psalm, because scripture is such that we can experience it and also use our imagination with it. God isn't shook by that. God actually probably delights in our imagination. So here this remix, this remix of Psalm 139. And this is, this is Jenna's version. So know that it's not, it's not anything else. Search me and know me. Know when I fall down and when I forget how to get back up. Understand my thoughts from far away and help me to get a little more free of their grip on me. Scout out all the possibilities available to me. And then help me to lay down and rest. Get familiar with every detail of me. And then don't leave. Most of all, God, dwell within me. Make a home inside of me. Make love more and more and more and more and more and more and more more in me.
sounds good. Sounds like love. Sounds like salvation. Sounds good to me. Amen.